Well, welcome to another episode of On the Couch with myself, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. And joining me today is a familiar face and also a familiar voice, uh, Andrew Wyland from DP Wealth in Toowoomba, who a lot of you will be familiar with. We do a bit of a uh, a show, Little and Large, I guess it could be called, on the call with Koshi on a Wednesday at 12 o'clock. And actually, we're on this Wednesday as well. So we're on every other Wednesday. So you can catch us there. But Andrew, as some of you will know, is a, a massive advocate of ETFs. And today we're going to be talking ETFs, very, very popular subject. And I know a lot of you look at this, especially for uh, for diversification in your portfolios. And Andrew has uh, become a I wouldn't say an expert on this, but he's close to being a, a guru on this, I think. So I'm really happy to have Andrew along for our um, second podcast of the year on the couch. So welcome, Andrew. G'day, Henry, and uh, all the uh, Marcus Today subscribers. Um, thanks for making me feel so welcome in the forums. I think that's uh, an excellent resource, and there's been some great conversations going on there. So hello. It, you're right, Andrew. It is a fantastic resource, and so far we've managed to keep it uh, that way, which which does get quite hard with two and a half thousand odd people there, but it is a fantastic resource and really appreciate your contributions there. Now, before we kick off, I've got to do the compliance thing and just uh, give the disclaimer because this is general advice only. So please do your own research regarding any of the thoughts, ideas, insights, or anything we talk about on this podcast. It is general advice only. So please talk to your financial advisor. Andrew, welcome. ETFs. I know you're a huge advocate of the uh, of the sector and the and the instrument as as uh, as a asset class. Why? Why do you use ETFs? I, th- I thought you were about to fall into the trap that some of my new clients, as in when they're first hearing about them, and call them EFTs. But, oh, okay. Uh, no, ETFs, exchange-traded funds for those playing at home. As I warned you off air just beforehand, this is a bit of a long answer, but it does set up the rest of our chat quite nicely. So you and I worked together at Macquarie, obviously in separate parts of the business. I worked in the private wealth business uh, back in 1998. So I've been doing this game, private client advising for 20-odd years, nearly 25 years, belying my age, the baby face that I am. And when, and if you believe that, have I got a bridge for you to buy? Anyway, I um, was had a meeting with Standard and Paul's in my office in 2017. They had a joint venture with ANZ, and uh, Stuart McGrath came to my office and said, "Andrew, tell me about your business." And I said, "Oh, Stuart, you know we've got you know two and a half thousand accounts. We manage about 500 million dollars of people's money uh, using direct equities." He goes, "Look, that sounds really, really interesting." And he didn't say this exactly, but the basic premise was, if you keep going the way you're going, and in five years' time, you won't have a business. No, right? that's, that's a nice thing to know. Rightio then. You, you have yeah. a good and <laughs> You better plan uh, your retirement now. I just went, great. I've still got three kids to put through private school and three daughters, so three weddings. Tell me more. <laughs> Basically, what Stuart did was he invited me on a study tour to the US to see as it was then Dornbush Partners and as is now DP Wealth-like businesses, family businesses, family wealth businesses. So went to... Uh, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, Denver, Calgary, and Vancouver. In, it was about a six-week tour, self-funded. I spent nearly two weeks with the S&P guys and girls. And probably the key thing I took, and before we go much further, I just want to be really clear, I still think active management is really important. And in particular, what you're doing with those small caps, Henry, you know, I think that's really important. But it was almost like a boot camp where they basically just sort of stripped me down. And the, the, the key thing, 
finding from it from a US perspective, and I'll give the Australian numbers in a moment, was that active managers, people who try and beat the share market over 10 years, 95% of them will fail. So that's not exactly a great number. But then if you look at the 5% that actually succeed over the next um, five years, they 95% of those will fail as well. So there's always a Buffett or, you know, there's always some superstar. But for all intents and purposes, surprisingly, I'm not Warren Buffett. And so I sort of went, oh, bother. Um, so <laughs> the Australian number is a little bit less scary, still somewhat scary, a little less scary. It's 82-18. So 82% of active managers fail to beat, uh, meet the benchmark, 18% do. In small cap land, it's about 50-50. So, again, I think certainly what you're doing with Henry's take and all that sort of stuff and all the value you've added with TNT, et cetera, really vindicates that. But if I'm trying to sort of pick the direction of BHP or ComBank or whatever, it's hard work. So came back to Australia, all fired up, and the rest of my team's just looking at me like I've got four heads going, what are you talking about? What are these ETFs? Because it's silly, still even at that stage, they were, like, they were just starting to get a bit of momentum, but, you know, they weren't really prevalent. And so what we did was, and this is probably the most telling thing for your listeners and um, subscribers, is we put our average portfolio through a model and looked at what the returns had been and thankfully had been beating the market, not by much, but had been beating the market. But probably more importantly, this is the big takeaway, they were taking double the risk in which right. to do so. So if you think about that just for a moment, one in four of our clients are self-funded retirees and we're saying, sure, we can get you market returns even a little bit better, but I'm sorry, you've got to take double the risk in which to do so. And that to me was a huge amber flashing light, huge flashing light. And so if we fast forward three years in vindication moment, if I can put it that way, uh, the great, I don't know what we're calling March, the great correction, the great correction of February, March, and our average direct equities client was down 35% on that March 23 low, our av or our worst case ETF client was down 12. And wow, that that's to me sort of said we did the right thing. Not that obviously anyone knew there was a one in a hundred year health emergency coming, but just in the context of remedying that um, volatility piece, we absolutely did the right thing. So to answer your question succinctly, I can't beat the market. Very few of us can. I'm simply trying to get my clients into that 18% that are going to meet the market not even beat the market. And then one of your questions a bit later on is some of my favourite ETFs. So we're having a very passive conversation at the moment, but I can't let the 24 years of being a stock picker go away. So I still like my core, I still like my satellite ETFs, you know, some of my thematic ones we might cover off in a couple of those in a minute as well. Now, now obviously, uh, the great joy of ETFs, as you say, is taking away some of that market risk and still doing well. Uh, is, is it just about diversity? But what are the pitfalls of ETFs? What are the downsides? Is there a downside to ETF or is it the, the holy grail? Uh, I don't have a sound effect, I'm sorry. Look, it's an excellent question. And I haven't actually done the numbers, what the bounce back has been since March. I quoted you the, the bad or the good yep. or the bad number, but I would... I'd, I would suggest off the top of my head that the bounce back in the, in the ETF clients has been nowhere near as strong as my direct clients. So in other words... Right. We're talking about the benefit of it constraining volatility when things are bad can actually be really bad for you when things are good. You know, you're not going to get that alpha. You're not going to get that outperformance. So certainly that's one pitfall. I'm, just I'm literally trying to think of some other ones. I think really, Henry, it's it's got to be for the right client. Like I would think, again, for a lot of markets today, clients, what 
my business does, holeless bowlers, is probably not for them because they want to be active. They want mm. to find the next TNT or 40S or uh, Vulcan. How good was that interview on Saturday, by the way? That was a ripper. I know. I, I, I did it during the week and I was kind of reluctant as to when to uh, actually release it because the stock was moving around such a lot. And I, and I think it wouldn't have helped the volatility in the stock to the to the downside you know certainly i think the market does get a little bit carried away sometimes with the timelines on these things and you know you talk about you go from the pfs to the dfs there was quite a big gap there um, mm -hmm. and i'm not sure the market was quite aware of that so i was kind of reluctant to uh, add to their volatility and we've, we've seen the stock come off quite considerably and i think we just get ahead of ourselves that's the problem people just get too too enthusiastic about it you know it's gonna you go from a pfs to a dfs in a month no that's not how it works it's going to take 18 months and there's a lot of um, pain and expense along the way but but yeah it's like and that vulcan is a perfect example like in a minute i'm going to talk about acdc which is one of my favorite etfs it's a way to play the play the lithium story but across a range of attributes uh, battery manufacturers car manufacturers lithium miners whereas vulcan which is an amazing story and mm. uh, just waiting for it to sort of bottom out before i sort of have a bit of a, a double pa personal account is really sort of lots of volatility there so for the average market today client or a subscriber they love the vol etfs probably isn't for them holus bolus but certainly in the context of playing either thematic or saying look it's really hard for me to get international exposure why wouldn't i buy and again general advice warning and play why wouldn't i buy vgad and i can get 1546 companies in one trade at 20 basis points and it's hedged so yep. You know, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think ETFs are the sole solution. They're part of the solution. They certainly are. Talking of the hedged aspect to it, there are a number of hedged ETFs, currency-wise I'm talking about rather than anything else, and there are some that are unhedged. What What's the fundamental difference? How does that affect which ETFs you look at? So in our model portfolios, so again, just from a business point of view, you know, when we're in stock-picking mode, 900 clients there was 900 portfolios because everyone was different uh in sort of current mode there might be seven or eight portfolios not trying to pigeonhole people but it certainly just makes it more efficient but if we're having a look at our core model portfolios we tend to use hedged because it literally just takes that volatility out of it. I mean, the dollar was, bet, what, 70 cents there three or four months ago, and it's 76, yep. 77 now. So we use, as I said, VGAD. Um, but by the same token, we also um, use for clients who want a bit more excitement in their life, we're using VGS, which is the unhedged version. And if you look right. at the cost between the two of them, that MER, that management expense ratio, the hedge is three basis points. So it's <laughs> virtually nil. And if you look at the performance difference over three years, the performance difference over three years is 2% per annum in favour of VGS. Right. So there is, there is an argument to go unhedged, but you are adding an element of risk on the roller coaster. Whereas if you just try and take that risk completely out of it, I just want exposure to the top 1,500 companies. I don't want to have to worry about the currency. Then certainly uh, having that hedging in play, and it doesn't cost a great deal in which to do it. It's three basis points difference. Now, there are there's a massive, especially in the US, there's a massive, massive range of ETFs. It's a huge business. Uh, here, it's, it's a massive business as well now. But th there are different kinds of ETFs, and some of them, to be honest, look more like structured products. 
than an exchange-traded fund. And it's what I would call a structured product from my old Macquarie days, where someone dreams up a basket of stocks and a theme that goes that surrounds that basket of stocks. When I was at Macquarie Bank, we used to call that a structured product. And you could charge you could charge good premium for dreaming up this with this intellectual property to, to trade this and to hedge it and all the other things. It's it's become a very sophisticated thing now and it has become an ETF, that's what they call them now. But are, are there some, I guess, are there some inherent risks over the more esoteric ones, the basket ones that are just a, a basket that an issuer has dreamt up and said, okay, we're going to do these 10 stocks and we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll go from there rather than an indice or a commodity or a, an exposure to uh, to a region or even, you know, a, a massive sector like the healthcare sector uh, yeah. globally. So, is, is there a risk with that? Yes, but I guess, you know, it's sort of, and we've said this a few times when we were talking about ETFs, it's sort of basically saying, what am I actually getting? Looking under the hood and saying, what am I getting? Now, the first thing is you actually want physically backed. You actually want there to be some shares or gold or whatever it is behind yep. it. You don't necessarily want uh, something that's got derivatives or futures or whatever the case may be. So that should give you some comfort to begin with. Secondly, it depends on whether we're talking active versus passive in the context. And again, I'll just keep on picking on VGOD. It follows the Morgan Stanley Capital Index, the MISCI, uh, world Index, X Australia. So right. that's, that's an index. It's following an index. But to your point around some of the uh, the more sort of, for the want of a better term, scary uh, ETFs, sure, you've got to be looking at what what are they following, what's the index they're following. I might add in Australia, I wouldn't think, I'm, I'm actually struggling to think of any that I'd put into the scary category. I mean, bearing in the US, there's something like 6,500 ETFs, and I can assure you there's a few there that if I didn't, if I wasn't follically challenged, would absolutely be making my hair curl. But here in Australia, we've got about 217, 218. A couple of them aren't physically backed, but certainly none in Australia from that point of view. But are they active versus passive, and is there an index behind it? And I guess the sub the sub uh, context to is there an index is who's the index provider? You know, is it S and P? Is it Solaris? Is it MISCI? Who is it? And if they've got some credibility and they're um, index providers for many ETF providers, that should also give you some comfort. But I guess the, the high-level takeaway, Henry, the more niche the index, the more niche the area, the more your amber light should be flashing. Whereas if it's more broad, generic Australian shares, international shares, whatever, you can probably feel, have a little bit more comfort. All right. Well, let's, let's talk niche. Let's, let's talk about one that you I know that you um, are very keen on. Uh, and we've talked about this before on TV with uh, with ACDC. It's such a great code as well. I mean, how can you not like that? I mean, you just got to be thunderstruck by that one, haven't you? Um, but um, sorry, I couldn't resist. But um, tell tell us about a ACDC and maybe some other of the uh, the ETFs that you're currently recommending clients. Yeah, so it's a, it's a it's a great question. In and again, setting setting the answer up. There's two styles of ETFs that we use. There's core ETFs. So you look across this diversified portfolio. Why didn't our clients cop it so badly? Is because they had Australian shares, international shares, property, infrastructure, fixed interest, bonds, cash. Whereas again, without knowing a lot about markets today, subscribers, some of them may not be as diversified. They might be all in shares, which is great. You know, if it's, things are humming along nicely, that's going to work really well for you. But when we're in an oh bother March 2020 moment, maybe not so much. 
So we have mm. a core portfolio. Generally, core is around two-thirds of people's exposure. And then one-third, so think of it as a barbell. At the other end of the barbell, one-third is active or, sa- sorry, is satellite or uh, mega trend, and I know that's a very um, it's a family friendly podcast. So I won't use the term that immediately came to mind, but it's a very trendy term. Right. But you know, sort of looking at those things, looking over the horizon over the next five to ten years, what are some of the areas that are going to be growing? So you know, we just spoke about ACDC, and I agree. If I could, my dream job is to be the person that comes up with these uh, four letter <laughs> If I could do that. I'd be a happy man. Unfortunately, I don't think they'd pay enough. But anyway, um, ACDC, it has battery, man- as I was saying earlier, battery manufacturers. It's got lithium miners, car um, manufacturers, Nissan, uh, Tesla, etc. And so, you know, we've seen, we spoke about Vulcan, you know, we've seen a number of these. I mean, what's Pilbara? Quadrupled since November? So, you know, yeah. like plenty of volatility, but playing that space. So really, we're just sort of identifying some of these areas where we think there's going to be these mega trends over the next five to 10 years and obviously uh, moving to sort of um, carbon neutral, the election of Joe Biden, all that sort of stuff. You would expect that there's going to be a big uptake in uh, the need for lithium battery tech. And so that's where ACDC plays into this. So some of the companies in ACDC, and again, you just need to, one of the good things about ETFs, you just literally go to the... um, provider's webpage and it tells you you know if i went to in the good old days in our macquarie days and you sort of said to the manager what's in your holdings they'd tell you three months after the effect but they wouldn't actually yeah. tell you the time because that was their secret source that's what's not going on here i can literally drill down and tell you that in um acdc the top 10 holdings are pilbara galaxy tesla AMG, Renault, Mineral Resources, Samsung, Panasonic. And from a country point of view, you're getting exposure to Japan, the US, Australia, South Korea, China, Germany, amongst a whole heap of others. So that's certainly one that we like. In, and it, these are in no, in, in no particular order, but other ones that I don't mind is Hack. And I think Hack is in your uh, ETF portfolio, which is actually done... Yep. Pretty well. So, hackers' yep. name suggests is like cybersecurity, things like CrowdStrike, uh, Zscaler, Cisco, um, Splunk. So, there's, um, you know, it's done pretty well. We don't mind Asia, which, as the name suggests, is Asian technology companies. So, you've got companies in there like Samsung, Taiwan Semiconductor, Tencent, Alibaba, JD.com. One that I'm pretty keen on, also, Henry, is Espo. ESPO, which is esports and gaming. Uh, there's something like 447 million people daily playing games on their iPad or Xbox or PlayStation or whatever device of choice that you have. And if you look at the index, the index that it follows is up about 36% per annum over the last five years. Again, NVIDIA, Tencent, AMD, Nintendo, Activision, all these companies that we don't have exposure to here in Australia, but we all know the names. We all hear them go, oh, yeah, my kid's got a Nintendo Switch or, oh, there's the AMD logo on my computer or whatever the case may be. So it's just giving you that exposure. Uh, Two more. Uh, I don't mind uh, RBTZ, which is uh, an AI and robotics ETF. I mean, my, uh, my great wish was for my uh, 
for my kids to sort of work at Woolies or Coles on a Friday afternoon and a Saturday morning, you know, post school to try and get some pocket money while I go to my Woolies just up the road here and it's all self-serve and all that sort of thing. So I can certainly see there's a big tick up in that, obviously drones, etc. So RBTZ. And then the last one, which is pretty topical at the moment, Henry, is Cure. And again, oh, um, yes. great names. Q-U-R-E, and as the name suggests, it's uh, it's a subset of the bio, the subset of the biotechnology sector on the S and P five hundred. So it's got a, a number of names in there, which probably six months ago or twelve months ago we never would have heard of. Uh, but now it's got things like uh, Moderna, Sage, Lagarde, etc. So they're just sort of six of the. I mean, we've got a few others, but they're sort of six of our satellite thematic, big picture. And that, look, last three or four months, and look, with due respect, I mean, everyone's done pretty well over the last three or four months, but they've actually done incredibly well, but not with, with as much volatility. And again, I'll pick on Pilbara. Pilbara was mm. down how much? 17% on Friday. And yep. yeah, ACDC was down one and a half. So you're yep. still getting exposure to that thematic, but you're not taking on board all the vol that comes with it as well. So so with these, um, say, for instance, like a, the ACDC ETF and that basket of underlying stocks. Is that an index? Is that how it works or is that just a basket of stocks? Do they value it every day? Do you get to know the value of that every day or is the index so widely available there can't be a big discount like an LIC can go to? There is an index and uh, it is valued every day. So if you go again, go to their webpage. In fact, this is one of the questions from one of the subscribers last night, I think. Uh, Mm -hmm. Selective actually does the index it's the Selective Battery Value Chain Index. And uh, one of the questions was asked was, well, you know, how is the price actually valued? So there's a market maker that sits behind here and the market maker has what's called an INAV, so uh, an interday net asset value. So they can see the prices moving. Now, obviously, when we're trading things like Tesla and Renault or not, so they've got to look at the futures and you're sort of moving into your old world, basically. So that's yeah. why... You try not to trade ETFs in the first half an hour when the market opens and you try to avoid them in the half an hour before the market closes because there's a lot more volatility and the market maker is at more risk. But uh, basically, you can go on the website, have a look and see what the uh, the NAV is and that should give you a bit of a guide as to where you should be paying because it's an excellent point, Henry. If we look at these LICs, these closed-ended mm. LICs. We'll pick up Dejuroa. You know, Dejuroa used to trade at a 20% premium to their asset backing and well-deserved. You know, they did a great job and great dividends and so forth. That premium has really evaporated with the uptake in ETFs, which are open-ended. And you mm. tend to find that ETFs, because there's a market maker facilitating the market, will they trade at or around NAV pretty closely. All right, Andrew, chance mm. to shine. What 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 ETF would you, would you like to see listed on the ASX? If you this is, remember you said you, your dream job was to make up the name. So are there any out there that you think, wow, this is this is a great thematic, mm. and you'd love to see someone come up with an ETF with this? You don't have to do the code thing as well, but um, you know there is one drug. There's food. There's hack. There's you know all these all these cool names. Is there is there a I guess I'm asking really, is is there a thematic or a sector that 
is underrepresented on ETFs that you'd think is 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 a go sector at the moment that that we should be looking at and that there's someone should be doing an ETF in. Yeah. So to answer that question, first of all, I'll point out that again, if it's passive, it's following an index, very little differentiation apart from cost. So really, yep. we have an active conversation here, yep. and a lot of the ETF providers are constantly polling advisors saying, what are your clients interested in? Because they want to find the next hot thing. Look at beta shares with EFI, E-T-H-I, just cracked mm. a billion dollars funds under management because ESG is such a, uh, a hot thing. Bearing in mind that even though it might have an ESG overlay, it's really just a tech play. But anyway, I and again, I'm going to take a little bit of inspiration. I think it was Peter in the forums last night where he was saying, "Is there, I think it was Peter, I'm sorry if it's not, is there any um, ETFs that play the clean energy space? Yeah, that's, that's a good said, one. No, there's um, ACDC, which is sort of the, uh, the niche, you know, battery technology, but there's nothing that actually does wind or solar or anything like that. There is, uh, and I can't remember who said it was, but there was, uh, I think there's a iShares uh, BlackRock pl- product in the US, but there's certainly nothing here. So off the top of my head, and again, I'm reading the newsletter this morning, you've got that sort of Biden six-pack. That mm. they would be an absolute no-brainer to go in there. We could get right. absolute exposure to that. So that, if I had to put my money down, that would be the one. Cool. And the code? Oh, um, C L E N. There you go. You've heard it here first, guys. This is the new ETF coming from DP Partners <laughs> in Toowoomba. <laughs> but it's um, it's certainly a, a great theme, and I, I know that a lot of people I get probably one or two emails a week asking how do we invest in in renewables, clean space, and it's surprisingly actually maybe not surprisingly in this country it's it's really hard to do and you start saying well agl and everyone goes oh my god no i don't want to go near that one but it is it is quite a hard thematic to get involved in here in australia that's for sure so uh, maybe you could be onto something there i think we're getting and i know we're a little pressed for time henry but i know that we get it's like a stepping stone like we're getting there with esg so if you have a look i mean you've got things like fair so you know talking about other etfs i like i really like fair fair uh, there's E200. Um, so people are making that leap to ESG, ethical social governance investing. This is probably the next step after that. Only 2% yeah. of the share of the fund, the um, funds under management on the ASX at the moment is ESG. So you probably want to get that closer to 5 to 10. But, yeah, I think once we achieve that hurdle, then, yeah, clean energy would certainly be the next step. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Okay, well, last sort of couple of questions. Um, is now... A good time to be investing in the ETF market? The short answer would be yes, because again, remembering that we're not, if we're in, in barbell mode, two thirds of that barbell is passive, and I'm not trying to beat the market, I'm simply trying to be the market. So that's how I'm framing this answer. So, and again, I also think about my clients, and I know that um, a lot of markets today, uh, subscribers have done incredibly well following your advice from March when. You know, March 23, the US Fed and the put, et cetera. Whereas I know a lot of my direct equity clients are sort of like just put their hands up and go, look, we're in the middle of a one in a hundred year health emergency. I can't be buying and have missed that entire run up. So whereas my ETF clients who were just literally invested in the market and just buying the market didn't really matter. I mean, don't get me wrong, they were paying attention, but, you know, they weren't getting worked up in it because they were buying the market. So the short answer is yes. If I had very much an active focus, 
and I was not trying to sort of do the passive piece. I was more in stock picking mode. Yeah, look, there's some uh, there's some nosebleed valuations out there at the moment, and I would be very much in momentum mode. And certainly that's how we play the satellite piece. You know, if things go up 10 15%, we're taking money off the table simply because sectors either are hot. I mean, again, pick on Vulcan. What did Vulcan get to intraday? Didn't it get to $14 intraday? $14 plus. Um, and where is I it now? I, I think fourteen fifty. I think now it's about 7 bucks fifty. So, mm. uh, And, that, that and that's what I mean, right? When a sector's hot... Seven, sorry, 7.05 actually. 7.05 actually. 13% down today. Can we wind this up? I've got to go and place a couple of orders. Um, <laughs> um, that wasn't a buy recommendation, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. It's, but it's in, just on that point, Henry, I think you'd agree with me. We're probably getting close to a capitulation moment. All these people that jumped in on the hot money and they're just going to go, oh, bother, and just drop their bundle. And that's yep. sort of, you know, like that's active. That's that's the fun mm. of active. ETFs can be fun, but you're more about trying to follow the market. So the short answer is yes, you should be buying ETFs if you have that long-term view and you're buying a market. A great uh, chat as always, Andrew. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I think, you know, I still think you're the guru in ETFs, I have to say. You're, you're, you're the man. You come out with a combination of letters that I've never even come across, and uh, which is always fantastic. So thank you so much for your time. You're a great friend to Marcus today, and I really value your contribution on the forum and uh, on these podcasts. So thank you once right. again. Thanks, Henry. And again, to everyone who's been so kind to me and and to Henry who's not, uh, thanks very much for having me. <laughs> and I'll see you on Ausbiz. Sounds great. Thanks. Thanks, mate.